People always tell me, you should have your money working for you. Because you send your money out there working for you. A lot of times, it gets fired. You go back there, what happened? I had my money. It was here. It was working for me. Yeah, I remember your money. We had to let him go. All right. Well, welcome, everybody, to the second super terrific happy hour. The first one was so super and terrific and happy, we figured we'd do it again. I mean, this is supposed to be a regular. We're kind of making a habit of this thing. I know. This could get dangerous. What comes after super and terrific? Terrificer? <laughs> more, more terrificer. I don't know. I have no idea, but we'll, we'll find We're out. We're going to find out. We're going we will there. We'll definitely find out. <laughs> um, now, listen, the, 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 the subject, the hand that we have decided to put our pea-sized brains and right. <laughs> into is, is the, the subject of inflation and deflation. And it's really weird. After we agreed to do this, you and I, we sat down and said, yeah, we should talk about that. I had an email from um, from my friend Steve Diggle in Singapore with exactly the same question. Huh. Inflation, deflation. Well, we uh, also saw Paul Tudor Tudor Jones, Jones I was just say, talking about yeah. it. We've seen Paul Singer talking about it. So it seems as though this is finally a subject that people want to discuss i mean we've had so many false dawns right so many right. calls for inflation yep I, I i'm going to ask you the best question of all <laughs> is this time different <laughs> uh, i mean it is amazing when you think about it you can understand why people are so worked up about inflation now when you sure. look at just the amount of stimulus that they're throwing at this economy um i actually was trying to run through the numbers you know i'm a simpleton. So I was just trying to figure out how much, how many months of GDP have we bought with the stimulus that we've right. done so far. So you figure out you've got basically four trillion in fiscal, and the Fed's balance sheet has increased two and a half trillion. So you're at six and a half trillion now. Yep. You know, and they're already working on. Phase four, is it now, of the stimulus? I've lost count. I've completely lost count of how many phases. I know. And then um, on the Fed side, that uh, Main Street lending program and the credit, the corporate credit facilities, the two of them, are not even, I mean, I think together they've, they're have they at $45 billion, and the yeah, two nothing. of them together are supposed to scale to almost $1.4 trillion. Right. So, I mean, all right. So we're at six trillion, let's call it now, and we're on our way to eight at least. How many months of GDP does that buy? And uh, long story short, if you have a hundred percent shutdown in the economy, everything is shut. You're looking at three and a half months. I was going to say GDP. three, four months. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So we know everything isn't shut. You know, we're maybe. I know the journal had a analysis probably three weeks ago now where they put it at 29% they came up with. If you look at the amount of jobs lost, it's 20% so far. So, okay. I mean, let's call it a quarter. So we basically bought ourselves more than a year right. of this current situation. So you can understand why people are thinking there's just way too much stimulus being thrown at this economy for there right. not to be inflation. But, but, have, but have we bought that when you when you look at where it's gone yeah. right when you look at where right. it's gone and this is this is this is always going to be the question and this is i think where many people myself included came unstuck in 0809 was the transmission mechanism thing you know yeah. we this this money went into assets it went into the banks and it went yeah. into the federal reserve and it stayed there and excess reserves for a long time yeah and so when you look back on it now you can understand why that inflation never happened yeah a kind of similar things happening with the lion's share of this today, right? Absolutely. I mean, I would think the case today is even stronger that you won't see the inflation. I mean, the amount of uh, deflationary, the strength of the deflationary forces being exerted on the economy right now are just so massive. To say nothing of, I think, the point where you were trying to get to as well, that you can't take a dollar of stimulus and assume it's a dollar, you know, right. into the economy, especially on the fiscal side where, you know, by the time it gets through the sausage factory and the misallocation of resources and whatnot, I don't know, is it 50 cents on the dollar in true stimulus? Maybe. Yeah. Um, well, I, I remember seeing a chart that said it was taking four 
dollars of excess of new credit to create a dollar of GDP. Okay. And that was yeah, yeah, maybe yeah. three or four years ago. Yeah. So yeah, you're, I mean, you're close. Plus, plus the sausage factory sounds like a great name for an, the next podcast we do. <laughs> 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 oh, God. But 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 when but when you look at that. Um, you know, the, the, the deflationary shock is real, and we can see that. that that's very, very clear. Yeah, and negative oil and prices aren't an environment where you're really worried <laughs> right. about inflation. But right, but but we're are we going to get an answer to the question as to whether unlimited inflationary stimulus can solve a deflationary shock? Because that's been the question all along, yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, doesn't it feel to me? It feels like the numbers have to just be so large for it to work out that way. I mean, when you think about um, this is before we even talk about the potential that the stock market has another down leg. Like, let's just assume. Sorry. (laughs) Blasphemy. Right. Um, But I mean, when you think about the forces of deflation that you pointed out that have been exerting pressure on this economy for the last decade and made it so that the Fed couldn't generate inflation despite what we thought at the time was just mind-boggling amounts of stimulus, um, are so profound. You know, the demographics and the debt are just so powerful as forces of deflation. And then you think about how, well, obviously the demographics you can't do anything about, but the debt are, are... households and businesses after this experience going to say, hey, you know what? Uh, we really want to borrow more and, right. uh, you know, lever ourselves up to uh, eye teeth. I mean, it seems to me like this is just going to continue to weigh on the economy and constrain consumer spending because they're just going to hunker down and say, we better save even more. And that hurts profit margins, which gets companies saying, all right, we're not hiring and expanding, and you get into that whole feedback loop that's where we've been for the last decade pretty much. Well, So, so what I'm trying to figure out, because that's exactly what I've been thinking, I'm trying to figure out if, if the lockdown lasts longer, A, does it change our behaviour more in the long run? Or if the, lock run, if the lockdown is over faster and things get back to normal, all those stimulus checks, those $1,200 checks... Do people is – is this a fleeting thing and they have money in the pocket and they go out and spend right. it and we, so we get that, that quick surge? And I don't know because, you know, obviously if we, if, we, if we get a second wave, the lockdown will probably be longer next time. So, we, you yeah. know, there are all these unknowns. Right. What, we, what we do know is this money is, is floating around. But I think the point you made there is something I wrote about this week and I think it's so true. It's all the assumptions being made are based on the fact that people – not only have access to credit, mm-hmm. but importantly, a willingness to employ it. Right. And, and that's the thing that I don't know is going to come back necessarily. Well, when you think about the experience after the housing bubble bust, um, you know, it took a long time for consumers to be willing to borrow again. And at first, you and I talked about this in in the super terrific happy hour part one about how initially it was just student loans because it was quasi-unemployment right. insurance. Um, so they've been really reluctant to borrow um, for a long, long time. And then, you know, you also had that layered effect where they were increasing their saving and you had the household net worth go to record highs and yet savings out of income were going up at the same time. So clearly there was a new behavior on the part of consumers after the housing bubble bust and the financial crisis. Do we expect that suddenly they're going to say, hey, you know, after this, well, we're going to stop being responsible. You know, we did a decade of that. Now we're just going to borrow more and save less and spend the checks that we got, you know, and go out and play catch up dining uh, for all the meals we missed out. I I doubt it. I mean, it's hard hard to see how that works out. I mean, I really struggle to put that as the response to people. You know, but you look at the consumer credit numbers, which were just Shocking. awful right yeah, now. Yeah. The, 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 the playing devil's advocate, people will say, well, look, I've been in lockdown for eight weeks. The only thing I've spent money on is food. I've not spent a dime on anything else, right? Mm-hmm. So the, the counterpoint is going to be, well, you know, people just can't spend money on anything. Yeah. Now, I, I, Amazon numbers would suggest that's not strictly true, <laughs> right. clearly with the, with the economy. But the, the numbers were so bad, both consumer credit and revolving credit, people are 
maybe taking these stimulus checks and paying off their credit card bills, yeah. God forbid. Well, I mean, we saw that behavior again after the financial crisis. I mean, right. you had that that AARA or whatever the initials were, the American Recovery Act, where they did the stimulus, which at the time was under $800 billion, seemed like right. a whopping amount of money at the time. Um, and what happened was that consumers saved that money. They pocketed that money. And so it, it ended up not having the effect. I mean, the programs like Cash for Clunkers goosed autos yeah. for, you know, the expected millisecond and then quickly went back. But in terms of the stimulus, it seemed like so much of that just disappeared in terms of uh, going into the economy. And I don't know, I, my sense is why would it be different now? Why would consumers suddenly say, oh, we're going to spend that money. It's, it's just hard for me to fathom. Well, I'm with you. I think, I think this, is, um, <clears throat> this, is, uh, this is a much bigger shock for people. Absolutely. Um, because even if you've, you know, in, in 08, okay, it started with housing, it started with the banks, we had a stock market crash, we had a rise in unemployment, but we got nowhere near the levels we're in already, you know, yeah. at, the depths of, at the depths of the Great Recession. We were nowhere near where we've hit now. And there's a chart floating around. Um, I'll post it to our, our Twitter feed, at STH Hour, um, uh, which shows job losses in all the recessions since World War II. And it is, it's a shocking chart when you look at it, when you look at how this has gone down. Um, and so, you know, you look at things like car sales, which have fallen, you know, in the 90% range. You know, mm -hmm. say, well, of course they have because dealerships are closed, et cetera, et cetera, which is absolutely fine. And I'm trying to noodle around whether when this lockdown finishes, do people go and buy more cars because they don't want to get on public transport anymore? Do they buy less cars because they haven't got jobs? I, I, and I honestly don't know what the answer is. I guess the sales can only go up again. But, right, but, right. But how, but how strongly? I mean, I, I'm really struggling with that because it's obviously such a big engine of the economy. Yeah, well, gas is, no pun intended, and uh, gas is cheap. So there's that too. Yeah. But I think that the larger point is, will they have jobs to go to? Like you said, um, right. where is the unemployment rate going to be when we come out of this? Are we, you know, the cheerful assumption is that we're, we get to 20 or whatever, and then we come right back down to pick a number, five, six. I don't know what the... It ain't going to be three and a half again. That's, I think that's the that's Right. The it's certainly thing. not going to be three and a half. And I would... I would doubt it would be five or six even. Right. Um, but who knows? But it, well, well, let, well let's, let, let's talk about that because we touched on this uh, the last time we spoke, right? And But we hadn't had the unemployment number then. Mm. And, you know, Wednesday we got, last Wednesday we got the ADP number, which was minus 20.3 million jobs. And the market rallied because yeah. people were saying it might be minus 20.5. Then we get the unemployment rate, uh, which is what, 14.7. Yeah. Um, with a bullet on Friday, and the market rallied. Yeah. Right. Um, when you look at when you add up all the initial jobless claims, we've seen thirty three and a half million people put out of work mm -hmm. in in the space of what six weeks. Yeah. That's one in five yeah. of of the kind of working age population. Right. And you look at the uh, you know, your brother put out all these charts last week, and the employment to population ratio chart is cataclysmic. Yeah. So. So let's bring it back to the markets. And, and I mean, I've spent the last week trying to figure out Why? what the hell right. is going on. Why are these markets rallying? And if it is just the Fed and it is just the stimulus, okay, fine. But that means to me that we will finally get the answer as to whether they are the most powerful force in the known universe. I mean, is there another way of looking at this? Because I'm, I'm baffled by it. I honestly am. I mean, I just keep assuming that it's, the expectation that we are going to go back to some kind of normal after this. Uh, maybe we don't go back to exactly where we were, but most people, I think, anticipate that this is just a short-term, albeit devastating, blow to the economy. I mean, how, how else do you justify the move in stocks? I mean, actually, if you look at uh, earnings forecasts, yeah. for this year and next, it works out to an exact wash. It, you know, the hit that they see taking uh, place for earnings in 2020 will be exactly undone or reversed in 2021. So this is just, again, it's that whole 
this is awful now, but we're going to go right back to where we were before or something close to it. So you and I are just wasting our time talking about the possibility that maybe, maybe, <laughs> just maybe uh, there's a bigger, a bigger story to be told here. Well, we should apologize to the listeners because that means we're wasting their time too. <laughs> so just talk amongst yourselves for the next 25, 30 minutes. Uh, okay. <laughs> but but so, okay, so so but what does it take on that basis then for the reality? Because because again, can you go through yeah, this well, stuff? We've seen so many companies have withdrawn guidance. There's well over a third of companies have withdrawn guidance for the next because they realistically, of course, they can't have any idea how this is, is going to pan out. Um, I looked at the the Bank of England put a piece out last week when they said they were expecting the worst recession in 300 years to hit the UK. Mm. And in that report... Was the market they, up on that report? Yeah, yeah, of course. Because, <laughs> because hey, it could have been worse, it could have been 500 years. So we got that going for us. <laughs> which, um, which is nice. <laughs> which is nice. But, they, but they, in that they said, they said, well, you know, we expect inflation to drop to 0.5% in 2020 and then in 2021, we'll be back to our 2% target, oh right? It, it's like... <laughs> the hubris. Uh, the, well, yeah, it's the hubris, but it's also... That when you put stuff like that out, who are you putting it out for? Because A, who in their right mind would listen to you? Or is this just a huge game of don't ask, don't tell that everybody is kind of playing and, and, and willingly so? I guess. I, I mean, it could be that. I feel like with regard to policymakers, they say a lot of stuff just because they feel like, you know, we have to talk up yeah. the economy. You know, obviously the administration's talking about a V-shaped upturn. Well, obviously they're going to talk about that. There's an election coming up. So you can understand the the reasons behind it. And I think with regard to central bank policymakers in particular, to not say we're going right back to our 2% target would be to acknowledge that they aren't completely omnipotent. Right. <laughs> and I'm not so sure that they're really aware that they could fail. I mean, Lord knows there's plenty of evidence that they're capable of failing. <laughs> but, well, but, but I, I, look, I guess they would argue that ultimately, you know, let's, let's, let's call it the, in, from the Greenspan era onwards, they have successfully managed to, I guess, demonstrably not fail because we've had 87 bounce right back. We had 2000, 2001, we kind of bounced right back. And NASDAQ took a while, but that was a, a crazy bubble. Even 2007, eight, we've made new all-time highs. Although interesting, that that's really a U.S. phenomenon. I mean, other countries have kind of eked yeah, out yeah. their old highs, but no one's done what the U.S. has done. So, you know, if 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 they can claim that to be success, then you go back to 1929, 1930, and you look at the Dow Jones taking 25 years to regain its right regain its previous high. And obviously in that time, if you just held your stocks, you've lost 25 years of inflation as well into the bargain. That's what I was just going to point out. You know, if you look at uh, the stock market since 2000 is up from the peak in 2000 is up 90% in nominal terms. If you deflate that by gold, it's down 70%. Yeah. So what the Fed's accomplished, it's success as you talk about, you know, it's managed to keep it together, is an inflation illusion. It's a, you know, an illusion uh, that's a function of debasing the currency and just, right. uh, you know, printing money. It's not fundamentally strong economic growth. Obviously, we just inflate one bubble after another in yeah. larger scale each time because the destruction gets bigger and bigger with each new bubble. Sorry, I, but, but, but I totally cut no, you No, 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 not at all. Not at all. You, made, you made my point, as you always do, you made my oh, point better geez. than I would have done. But, but, the, but we, the reality is we live in a nominal world, right? We, mm-hmm. we, we live in a nominal world. We don't live in the real world in many, in many ways you can, you can take that statement. So, so again, I mean, what really matters here? I mean, I, 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 I spoke to um, Pippa Malmgren a, a month or so ago, and she was talking about the, the willingness that people already have and so probably will have going forward to accept 
higher inflation in terms of when you've when you have a recent memory of being unable to buy toilet paper and, and bread and stuff in the supermarket and hey the bread price is up eight percent people are probably still going to say well yeah but eight percent more expensive bread is better than no bread mm-hmm. do you think that's a possibility that because we're already seeing you know, uh, food shortages we're already seeing you know, meat processing plants have, have slowed down the the meat supply we're already seeing shortages do you think there's a chance that that kind of stuff could grab hold or, or do you think there's zero chance of that happening well i mean there's so many um strong arguments for inflation like that you know the shortages right. there's also the ruthless rationalization of all the excess capacity that we had going into this. I mean, you look at the list of companies that have filed for bankruptcy in the last couple of weeks who, you know, were supported by this Fed's repressive rate regime, all these zombie companies that have existed for a decade that shouldn't have been there, that acted as a, a profound force for deflation because they were zombie operators and forced prices down across the industry. Now you see those guys fall away. You can imagine oligopolies being established in industry after industry um, with pricing power. Um, And then we haven't even touched on globalization. If that's really at its end and we're moving back to a more isolationist sort of global um, view, that's massively inflationary. So yep. you have, I mean, there are a lot of arguments beyond the food shortages and whatnot. But what I, again, I'm so such a simpleton. I just try to sit back and say, if I were Joe Sixpack and the price of bread went up and the price of meat is going up and I got to pay my rent and I've, you know, got to whatever, drive my car. We'll buy that six pack for a start. Or buy this. Oh, yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to have to cut back on my Netflix subscription and my uh, whatever extraneous, you know, my carnival cruises yeah. and that kind of stuff. <laughs> right. So basically, you you don't see a broad generalized increase in inflation. You see what we have seen for the last decade, which is that there is a certain select segment of the goods and services where there's rampant pricing power. And there's the other segment, a huge slug of it, where the deflation is just relentless because consumers say, I'm not going to borrow to, you know, expand my total uh, purchases. I'm trying to save more. I'm trying to be more responsible. And that's the logjam for me mentally of getting to a place where you have, you know, 10% inflation, much less 1,000% inflation. Is how, How does the consumer accommodate an increase in prices across the board? Do you have a... I mean, how well, do you I see mean, that it's, it's a great it's a great question, right? Because normally, this that that kind of inflationary mindset means people don't want to have money sitting in the bank and they want to go out and spend it. Yeah. But no one has any money sitting in the bank. I mean, right, that's, right. That's part of the problem here, right? When you look at the, all those statistics about how many Americans, you know, it's, like, it's well over forty percent Americans don't have four hundred bucks for a, you know a, a, a car Emergency, repair or whatever right. it is. Um, then yeah, it's 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 difficult to see how the money that might just be sitting there is going to get pushed in the economy because it isn't. You know, the, the other thing that, that I look at, the, the big confusion, and Paul Jones talks about this in his letter, is M2, right? Uh-huh. We've seen M2 growth really, really strong. And yet we've seen M2 velocity Plunge. just plummet. Yeah. Uh, and, and look, it's been plummeting for like two decades now. Yeah. It's, it's just been going down and down and down and down. And, and that comes back to that you know, great chart again that, you, that Eric, your brother, put up um, I think a couple of weeks ago or last week maybe that had uh, debt as a percentage of GDP versus M2 velocity, mm-hmm. which have been in just about perfect sync since 1974, I think he began yeah. the chart, mm-hmm. and now they're completely going the opposite direction. What what does it take for that velocity to turn around? Because I, I that's the key to me, but I, I can't think of a trigger for that really. Yeah, I mean, you have to change. I... But, I guess what I come back to on that velocity chart is that the money went to financial assets. Yep. So, you know, you could overlay rather than debt to GDP with the velocity of the S&P with yep. velocity and the two of them moved in completely opposite directions. 
Um, so the question you're asking essentially is how do we get the inflation out of financial assets into the economy? How do you, you know, the Fed obviously has the ability to push the money out there. It can't choose where it goes. And obviously it just it went into financial assets after 2008, I think in large part because consumers refused to extend themselves and borrow right. in anticipation of the economic upturn. And so it started this whole cycle that we've seen perpetuated for the last decade where companies said, well, if the consumer's not going to spend more, we're going to buy back shares. And then, you know, yeah. you had that whole financial engineering rather than actual economic growth until the very most recent few years. So what reverses that? And I again, I come back to that consumer and I don't know. Is that my mental block? I, how how else do well, you get? Well, you, you, you raise you raise a really good question there, right? When you when you talk about the Fed has no way of deciding where that money goes. I mean, of course, ultimately they don't. But you could argue they do have a lot more power in where it goes in terms of reversing the split in stimulus between Wall Street and Main Street, right? Mm-hmm. Because the, when you look at the paucity of loans being made to small businesses where the money would find its way into the economy yeah. much, much faster. They can't yeah. ultimately decide what people buy with it. But if you give that money to businesses who are employing people, yes, you can. And and they have chosen a, an outsized portion of these funds to go to fallen angels. I mean, all kinds of weird and crazy stuff. And, and, and I'm sure at some point it'll, it'll be into equities if we do see this market right, turn right, around right. and start collapsing again. Is that... Do you think that's deliberate? Is that a deliberate attempt, not not necessarily to bail out Wall Street, as people will say, and it certainly is a bailout of Wall Street. Is it a deliberate attempt to try and keep inflation under control? I mean, I would think it's just that same uh, sort of idea framework they, they've been operating with since Greenspan, that, hey, if we can just keep the financial markets together, then that will support the economy. You know, if we get right. if we keep uh, asset prices elevated, then, you know, the people who are the asset holders will go out and spend and they're the marginal consumers. So that will result in increased hiring, the whole trickle down, whatever. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think the question you asked, though, really opens the door to how much bigger all of these programs are going to have to get because you're so right. Until they do the small business plans or literally just hand consumers the money with which to pay the higher prices so that companies then say, okay, well, we can raise prices. Now we have some profit margins. We're going to go back and hire people back and we are going to, you know, um, be able to get through this. That's what you need. But the amount of money required to get us to that place is so frigging mind-boggling. I mean, what we've done so far is absolutely nothing compared to what they would have to do. Don't, have you thought about yeah, I mean, how I, big I, you think I, this eventually I, gets? I mean, do you have... <laughs> I, th- I think the trouble is... Well, let's, let's come back to that second. I just want to go back to something you just said there, talking about, about what they've done since the Greenspan era and the, you know, this policy of keeping financial assets high and that whole trickle-down thing. Um, the, one, the one difference now, it seems to me, is over that period, with that being their playbook and that being the consistent way they've gone about doing this, they have exacerbated this wealth inequality yeah. to the point now where it's, it, it, it's, 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 it's both unarguable and dangerous, right? Yeah. It, it, you, you, it's not something that you can talk about in kind of you know, vague abstract terms but not really you can see it, it, it it's absolutely a thing mm-hmm. and so if if they try to play that game longer if they keep trying to play that game yeah you know, i my fear is that the tipping point is kind of here and 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 if they if that's the game people now realize what wall street versus main street means they realize i think that it financial assets aren't the same and so buoying stock markets and bonds i think people are starting to get that so i don't know i think you're absolutely right i think the number i mean as you said pick a number right the fed's gone straight through six trillion um you know on their way to 10 at the at at, the, at least i would think yeah. in the, before the end of this year um you know at, at, again like all these things and, and the piece i wrote this week was 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 all about this was was at what point does this stuff matter because all these 
questions are valid. And if you sit back and, and ask them, the answers intuitively seem pretty straightforward that, that this can't go on. Mm-hmm. But really, it, they can't go on indefinitely. They can go on for a period of time. And, and I, you know, I have no idea how long it lasts, but, but the Fed's balance sheet is going to go through 10. Yeah. And the ECB are going to do the same thing. And, I mean, who knows what the Bank of Japan are going to do. Even the Bank of, you know, the, I was looking, the Bank of Canada have tripled its balance sheet wow. since this began. Hmm. The Australian Central Bank have increased their balance sheet by 43% since this whole thing began. So, it, you know, it's, it's happening everywhere. And yet, and yet, and yet, that there so far have been no consequences. And, and what I'm, the thing, the question I'm really trying to, get my head around is at, at what stage, if ever, the the data and the performance of everything sync up. Mm-hmm. Because either the data bounces back, which, uh, hey, it could, right. but I really <laughs> struggle to see how, or the, the, the asset prices have to be repriced in a more realistic fashion with the economic circumstances. And that is so far below where we are now yeah. as to completely upend everything that they're trying to do. And I, I keep trying to untangle this Gordian knot and I can't. Right. I'm hoping you can. No, I mean, and actually I, that's why I made that comment at the beginning that this is before we even talk about the potential that the stock market gets hit, you know, massively when the reality sets in that or the reality we presume will happen that it's not a v-shaped recovery and earnings aren't going to completely uh bounce back next year and and so you know this then maybe investors finally say okay we were overly optimistic and and the market crashes i mean i was looking at um the current overvaluation in terms of the market cap relative to gdp right now just to get back to the mean ratio right. of the two would require a 12 trillion dollar hit to stock to market, market cap. Yeah. right so the 12 trillion um so is the fed going to buy 12 trillion dollars worth of equity i mean obviously that's not you know the math here but it, those numbers are just so enormous and so, then, so when you talk to your clients about this i mean they're wrestling with the same thing right and they're all trying to invest on the back of it which well thank this task that is today yeah what 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 are the either the either the pushbacks you get or what are the the main questions that people are grappling with well i mean i think this inflation question is the the pressing question yeah. right now and what i get is people who are genuinely concerned that we are going to see a huge spike in inflation from all the stimulus and the stimulus to come. So I think to the extent that people agree with our shared operating thesis that it's not going to be a V-shaped recovery, they just are that much more fearful about the amount of money that's going to be printed. And printing money, ipso facto, means inflation in in the sort of uh, their analysis of it. So I, for me, it's kind of trying to walk through that whole um, debt and demographics and the degree to which they restrained inflation pressures for the last decade and layer now on top of it this whole situation. Yeah. And I just can't even begin to fathom how we get inflation until the stimulus exceeds the deflationary slack or forces that are right. out there. And again, you know, that math is could be a moving target because we don't know how weak the economy is going to get. We don't know where asset prices are going because if you do have another down leg in stocks, then you got to add that to the tab. So, right. I <laughs> mean, it's the numbers. Well, I don't know. Do we end up printing $20 trillion? Maybe. Yeah. And, and, and yeah. but even then, so, you know, during the Weimar Republic, stock prices went up because yeah, people were yeah. so desperate to say, I obviously they're printing money. I need to put my cash, my savings somewhere. But as you mentioned earlier, we're not Germany. Uh, we don't have any savings to put anywhere, right? So I don't know. I, I wonder, where do you think stocks go? Do you see an environment where we have this down leg and then 
you have money printing and stocks just go berserk. Well, again, I, I think this, you know, people, a lot of people are talking about this, this blow off top in equity markets and, you know, new highs and we're going to get, I, it's interesting, I think we've regained half of the yeah. loss and I think there's only once in history, once you've regained half the loss that you make a new low and that was, of course, you know, 1929, 1930. Um, so there's a lot of people kind of taking solace. We know it's solace. not going to be that, so we can right, just... Right, right. <laughs> a lot of people kind of taking solace from that. But, but for me, when I think that through, the, the only way, given the economic backstop, and I, and I may be a total hayseed thinking that the economy matters to stock prices, right? Maybe oh, you and me both. Jesus. Outdated thinking. But <laughs> the only way I can see that... Um, markets go to new highs is if it's an inflationary, a pure inflationary phenomenon, right? And we get this crazy inflation that we're talking about. And to your point about why my Germany, people start throwing money into the stock market because, and they make great nominal gains. But then again, you come back to that whole idea. You, you deflate those charts by gold. Right. And everything looks different. Yeah. It all looks different. And, and, and you know, I, 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 don't, I don't think people will be fooled for that much longer. Um, you know, you, you can fool people by having all these headlines about how great the economy is doing, how great the stock market is, et cetera, et cetera, right? That, that fools people for enough of the time because you kind of think, well, okay, I haven't got a job, but the economy is good, so therefore there's a good chance I'll get a job. And you get all these discouraged workers and we can see those in the numbers, people dropping out of the workforce eventually. But when you get a dislocation like this, it's much harder to, to, to make people confident in the economy just by saying what a great economy it is because all their neighbours have lost their jobs and yeah. their family have lost their jobs. Yeah. And so your natural inclination isn't to, to be hopeful about finding a job. It's, oh, my God, I'm now in competition with all these other people to get a job. So I, I just, I don't know, I, 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 I see the playbook they're running. I concede that it's had success before. And I can understand why they'd want to run it again, only harder. But you don't have to look very hard to understand the differences this time around mm -hmm. to the other ones. And I, I can't see a way in which it works this time. I, I, I mean, in the short term, yes, I can see that. But I, I cannot see unless we get a strong V-shaped recovery, how it works this time around. I just, I just can't for life me figure out that that mechanism. Yeah, I'm with you. And I think um, the psychology of deflation that you're alluding to in terms of people saying, you know, all my neighbors don't have jobs either, yeah. so maybe I'm not going to get one. But this is exactly what happened, obviously, in Japan, is that you reached a point where people became so acclimated to prices always going down that even if, you know, the price of a melon went up a couple bucks, they would assume, well, that's just temporary. It's going to go right back down. So there right. was no impulse to rush out and buy things that were going to become more expensive tomorrow, which is so crucial in getting inflation to pick up is there has to be that fear that yeah. if, I, if I don't lock it in now, you know, it's going to become much more expensive later. And it, it, we are so deep into that more deflationary psychology right now, I would think, especially, you know, when you talk about from an income standpoint, maybe not specific good, but if you think about people's net worth and their yeah. uh, um, livelihood, and that's a much bigger issue, yeah. obviously. Well, well, that's, well that's, that's the interesting thing, because I, I think there's, there is there's deflation in people's um, stock portfolios. There's deflation, there's going to be deflation in their houses. There's going to be deflation in their financial assets. But we still have this underlying inflation in the stuff that they need to buy. Yeah. And if, as you posit, this globalization pendulum has reached its apogee and it's going to come back the other way, which, which I completely agree with, as you said, things are going to get more expensive. So we have this almost the worst of mm -hmm. both worlds in that you've got deflation in assets and inflation in, in goods necessities. And, and this is something you've been talking about consumers and the pressures they're under for, for a long, long time. And so that that seems to me like a very toxic devil's brew. Some people actually take that as the raising the possibility of a stagflation yeah. scenario. 
Um, but even with stagflation, I mean, I guess it depends on how you define stagflation. I think of stagflation as being increased consumer prices alongside weaker economic activity. But what I see transpiring is increased input costs alongside decreased ability to pass right. them along, which right. is, you know, a, a very different scenario. Um, and the idea that we could have weaker growth with rising prices is the one that I just, you know, it makes my head explode. I can't, I can't figure out how that would work, but it's sort of, you know, along the lines of what you're talking about, it, it also brings up to the extent that consumers have these constraints on their income and assets are deflating, but all the stuff they can't live without is going up in price of that issue of the wealth gap between the haves and the have nots and just how pressing and desperate this situation becomes for people, you know, 40% of households in the U.S. It's not an insignificant share yeah. of the population. And what are the social consequences of that? Um, and, you know, do we get to a point where between the Fed and uh, Congress, they actually have to address it in a way that results in handing people, you know, having a guaranteed income or something, which then might allow a foundation, at least a footing for prices to start to move up yeah. in earnest. But it, it doesn't seem, I mean, we, we, were, we, were, we were talking about MMT and UBI three months ago, right? As, as yeah. this pie-in-the-sky idea that was only a problem if Bernie Sanders or Liz Warren get elected. Or and AOC, even then, right, exactly. Yeah, right? I mean, <laughs> it, it, it was such a wild... I mean, it, it's basically it's happening now, right? Whether we, yeah. whether we like it or yeah. not, whether we call it that or not, we've gone straight there, which, which I guess shows you that that's the impulse is, is to do that. And, and I, you know, I kind of understand it. But that is one genie that you are never getting back in the bottle. Right, mm -hmm. you, you can't give people money and then take it away. You can withhold it from them for a long period of time until they basically force you to give it to them. But once you give it to them, how do you possibly withdraw that? I mean, how? how let's just talk a little bit about this stimulus and if it achieves its aims. Do you remember that when Bernanke said that they, the Fed's balance sheet would get back to below a trillion dollars? <laughs> I mean, you know, when he said it, we were all laughing at him at how preposterous yeah. an idea it was. The, you know, then then they start the you know the the QT and right. then they start the, you know and like we, watching paint saying, dry. Yeah, right? watching paint exactly. Right? <laughs> and we're all sitting there going, yeah, just wait, just right. wait. There, there is we we can see the the plot on that chart somewhere along that line. There is trouble. Right, right. And, okay, the pandemic came and people will blame the pandemic, but it, it wouldn't have mattered ultimately. At, no, there were problems before, long before that. Were. I mean, the repo market, how many examples right. do you need? Yeah, September was when that repo thing began. Um, so you, you know, when, you, when you look at that, it, it seems impossible to me that any of this gets unwound because the only way it gets unwound is to generate the kind of growth that allows you to unwind it. And that, to me, actually can't happen until you purge the system by allowing all the stuff that they're trying to prevent to happen. So we're in, you're in this, right. like, Catch 22. this perpetual motion machine that keeps going around and around. Yeah. And, and you know, the only way out is painful. The only real way out is painful. But... The only palatable option is to keep playing the game until the pain is completely unavoidable, and then we'll, we'll roll the dice and see what happens then. Yeah, to boldly go to boldly go where <laughs> no man has gone before. But you know the the upside to it is that we're not alone. Like you mentioned, you know, it's like Canada, Australia, the ECB, right. Japan, um, which is why you know, this whole scenario becomes so fascinating to watch. I mean, it's gruesome, but it, I mean, it's it's really going to be interesting to see how this plays out. And I, you can understand, again, where the inflation hysterics come from, because, again, it's not just us. It's everybody out there yeah. printing like crazy. So what is the constraint? And the constraint is that all the 
countries that are doing the same thing we're doing are faced with the same debt and demographic issues that have been yeah. constraining inflation in their economies. I mean, we're not alone in not being able to generate the uh, amount of inflation that the Fed has hoped to achieve. Um, it's been a global phenomenon, mostly because of how levered we've become. So, yeah, again, when I come through this whole thought process, I, it just where I come out is how enormous the amount of stimulus is going to have to be to even begin to make a dent in the deflationary yeah. forces that we're facing right now. Well, you, know, you talk about constraints, right? The constraint used to be that we had price-sensitive buyers. Right? <laughs> and so the, the, the debt would be issued, but, but there was a degree of price sensitivity to it. And, and that was the constraint. That was the check and balance. Now, that constraint has officially now been removed because yeah, the central banks... Is that in writing on a cave wall somewhere? Because that's <laughs> so long ago. <laughs> I know. I know. It's just, it's just like a really crudely drawn picture of an idiot holding out some money. Um, but, it, but, I mean, that's, that used to be... That was a constraint. And that constraint has now gone because the central banks are just... I mean, we... we let's face it, we're monetizing the debt now. That's exactly what we're doing. Right. So that that constraint is gone, and and it, it makes you realize that that with that out of the way, there there really is no limit to this and to how far it will go. Other than at some point, people kind of realize what's happening, and and I'm gonna I promise I'm gonna try not to bring every single one of these conversations at some point back to gold, but I, but I have to in this it's case. It's impossible, right? It's impossible not to, right? Yeah. But but that seems to be what gold is kind of sniffing out to me at the moment. And and even even then, you know, gold is is I think muted considering yeah, just, what's going on. Really muted. I yeah. mean, just despite the fact that some people are saying, Oh, gold's in a bubble, it's gone too far and it's you know, it's going back to eight hundred and you know, when you look at the scale of this around the world and you look at gold at 1700 and change, I mean, even that makes no sense to me at all mm -mm. because everything we've talked about, every, every problem we've posited, every solution we've suggested, I just have this word in the back of my head as, as a potential answer to that question. Uh, you know, what, 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 I mean, either I'm missing. I know you're probably the worst person to ask this because you and I've talked about I this enough. Don't try but, to ask me. But, but what's the market? What could be what's wrong the with market missing? Yeah. yeah. What's, the, what's, what's the market missing? I, I mean, I guess it fits with the whole scenario that the market sees a V-shaped rebound. So this is temporary, and the stimulus is going to be unwound. I mean, talk about a fantastical idea. Can you imagine the stimulus is going to be unwound? Yeah. I mean, not only are there uh, macroeconomic reasons not to believe that, but since when has a fiscal policymaker ever spent money and then decided, well, we'll spend net less. We're going right. to take something. I mean, it just... Never in the history of mankind, as far as no. I know, has that ever happened. So, but I, I guess the gold fits in the scenario of, you know, if it's risk on and you can just draft off of the Fed and all the other central banks and buy what they're buying and enjoy the ride and hold your nose and not care about the fundamentals, which no one's cared about for the last 20 years. So why now? <laughs> yeah. You know, what's to stop that from continuing i mean do you i i come back to gold as just being underappreciated specifically because no one sees the dire scenario right. that we're talking yeah about. And, and, it, and it could, it could be as simple as that but, but when you look at expectations um inflation expectations haven't become unanchored yet which is interesting to me mm -hmm. um you look at what the um what the, the the rates markets are screaming deflation they're screaming that rates in the us are going to go negative mm -hmm. they're screaming that we're going to have you know negative one percent on the on the 10 year the two is probably going to go negative this week if we get any more bad data yeah um but that's been the case for a long time the stock market and the bond market have had very differing opinions about the true strength of the economy 
Right, but but we we know. I mean, anyone that spent any time in these markets, even even recently, must understand that the bond market is ninety nine times out of a hundred <laughs> right, and it still doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, how much of that do you think is institutional? How much do you think is just all the algorithmic trading? I mean, this is beyond me in terms of how much of it is just kind of built in. Again, yeah. you get that idea of, hey, it's it's risk on, and then it's all sort of self-fulfilling in a way because there isn't a rational human being sitting back and saying, hmm, you know, maybe this isn't going to play out the way right. the right. machines are anticipating. Yeah, it's possible. Well, I mean, we'll, we'll, in the coming weeks, we'll, we're going to have some guests on, and this is going to be one of the key things I think we ask them. Because you know, as, as far as I can figure out, the more smart people's opinions on this I can get, the better. Because yeah. I, 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 I just can't figure it out. <laughs> and neither. that's why I wanted to talk to you about it. And that's Absolutely. why we should talk to, to our, our guests. And the next time we do one of these, hopefully, um, we will have a guest with us. We won't, we won't talk about who it's going to be, just in case. <laughs> he, he, he listens to the first two and says, there's no right. way I'm coming on talking to you two idiots. Are you kidding idiots. me? But hopefully we'll be able to, we'll be able to um, bring someone to this discussion. I mean, I know, I know you, you know we haven't really reached any conclusions here. Um, and and you know one of the things that that troubles me is is people's um, need for a solution. You know, for mm-hmm. me, and again, I spent a lot of time this last week thinking and writing about this. For me, what's important is understanding the questions that you need to ask yeah. and making sure you keep asking them. And and at some point, you're going to get an answer to them or at least have a strong conviction about what the answer is going to be and can in, and take action accordingly. But at the moment, you know, really you and I are going to spend a lot of time asking, asking each other questions, right? Yes. And, and that's hopefully the people listening to this understand that. And, and you know, I'm sure there's some people who've already turned off and said, well, they've asked all these questions. I haven't got one answer yet. Um, you know, that, that, that's such, for me, that's just uh, we, the wrong mindset. We can't even answer the question of how regularly we're going to do this. <laughs> exactly right. Exactly right. Folks, if you're looking for answers, go someplace right. else. But if you want questions, you've come to the right place. Well, look, Steph, we've, we've, um, We've almost run out of another super terrific and happy hour. Yes. Um, so I guess all that remains is to is to thank the nine people. We were six people last week, uh, and I had tweets from three people saying they listened wow. to. So we had we had at least nine. We are Hopefully on this week a roll. We can, <laughs> <laughs> on a roll, we can sneak it into double uh-huh. figures. Um, for those of you listening, you you can follow us uh, on Twitter. The handle for this show is at sth hour. Uh, you can follow me at ttmygh. And me at S Pomboy. You got it first time. I, please yeah, do. How about that? <laughs> please, please, uh, please share the podcast. Um, rate and review us when you get the chance on iTunes. And uh, send us we your can't say we'll see you next week because we don't have enough questions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly right. <laughs> That's why we desperately need a questions. No answers. Not welcome here. Just questions. Uh, and we can't even tell you when we're going to do this again, but it'll be at some point in the near too future. Distant future. I hope. I hope so. Thanks, Steph. Bye. Thank you.